Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears, no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims com commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his hand. You, Lord, are the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's, there's just no build-up. There's no introduction. There's, there's no moment of a kind of acknowledging who's being spoken in. The psalmist just dives straight in with, Why? Why? And there's a sharpness, there's a, a rawness, there's, there's a refreshing honesty uh, to the start of Psalm 10. And if you've been in church for any length of time or uh, you've grown up in, in, a, in a church and you, you, you've been taught kind of ways to pray, uh, we normally kind of expect that the first step of prayer is adoration. I mean, if you've learned the, the kind of ACTS way of praying that that first day is, is for adoration, to declare, to celebrate who God is. And when, when Jesus' friends asked him, Jesus, teach us how to pray, 
Well, Jesus gave him the prayer, Father, hallowed be your name. To start with adoration is, is, is good, if you like. Adoration is like the starting blocks. Uh, just like um, athletes use starting blocks to launch themselves out running. So we can use uh, adoration of God as, as the sort of the launch for us into our praying. But that doesn't mean we do that every time. I mean, it's not how Psalm 10 begins, is it? Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? The psalmist is straight in, bam. I don't think um, David, writing the psalm, is having a crisis of faith. I, I don't think this is David putting God on notice, saying, I'm about to walk away from my faith. It said, Psalm 10 is David totally leaning by faith on the living God he knows he can cry out to. And the first cry of why in Psalm 10 shows us that this is a faith-filled prayer that takes God at his word. It's a faith-filled prayer that takes God at his word. And you might notice um, the, the title of Psalm 10. It's got a footnote, and, and so is the title of uh, Psalm 9, and if you go digging at the bottom in, in very small print, if you can read it, it, it suggests that at one point, potentially, Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 were one psalm. And actually, there are Christians around the world who have in their Bibles psalms numbered differently to how we do because they take this psalm as one psalm. But whether it's one psalm or two psalms, uh, I'm less bothered by. What we do need to notice is a relationship between Psalm 9 and Psalm 10. There's there's something going on in Psalm 9 that we heard last week that we need to remember. That it's, it's heartbeat. It tells us that God is a God who rightly rules, it judges justly, and has the certain triumph. And it's as if, like, it's as if Psalm 10 interrupts and says, right now, I can't see that. David is seemingly distressed by the victimization of the helpless and those who stand behind it, those who are doing the worst to the least. And David goes into quite painful detail of what's going on. Verse 2, we're told the, the wicked man is hunting down the weak to catch them out. In verse 3, we find them celebrating greed. Verse 7, it's the breathing out of lies and threats Verses 8 and 9, it's, it's like we're watching a nature show. They're waiting, planning, pouncing, murdering innocent victims, catching and dragging off the helpless. It's an ugly, ugly picture. What's behind this? Well, so, uh, uh, verse 4 gives us a pretty good summary. It says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek the Lord. In, in all his thoughts... There's no room for God. And so the wicked person concludes, this is what they think, verse 11, God will never notice. He covers his face and he never sees. And this distresses David. The impact on those who have the least and are the least by the actions of those who reject God, who, who assume God won't notice, assume God doesn't care, and it seems God's not doing nothing about it. That is what David is distraught about. And notice these aren't just any people being caught, crushed, murdered. These are God's people. 
You know, it's not going out. He's not just looking at the nations out there. He's saying it's much closer to home for him in his day. It's as if today he was looking out and looking at the persecuted church and saying to God, why do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself? Why are you hiding yourself in times of trouble? You're the God of Psalm 9. You're the God who, who rightly rules and judges justly and has a certain triumph. So verse, two, verse 12, arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Don't forget the helpless. I want to suggest this morning that this, this is faith-filled praying. Notice how David doesn't go off and talk to his friend about how he feels God's silent and hiding from him. This is not David just sort of thinking to himself and philosophizing. I don't know if that's a real word. And just kind of thinking, oh, hiddenness of God, I should write an essay about it. What does he do? He goes to the living God and cries out and says, this is what you say you're like. This is what's happening. What's going on? You say that you rule, rightly rule, judge justly. You have the certain triumph, and yet here is the ugly reality in front of me. What are you doing? This psalm is a lament. And it teaches us, Psalm 10 says to us, it's okay sometimes for your prayers with God not to be a polite conversation. You can wrestle with him. You can grapple with him. Know that when Jesus walked the earth, he would have prayed and sung these words. And when Jesus had the very worst done to him on the cross, he reached to the Psalms and he cried out, why? We're in very good company to pray like this. Psalm 10 also helps us not to become so familiar with the ugliness that goes on in the world. If you're anything like me, it's very easy to see things on the news and just zone out a little bit, switch off. Or when you're watching the sort of comic relief programs or the stand-up to cancer bake-off and you just carefully avoid the sections where you know they're going to get you. We, we, we can become over-familiar with it, that we no longer cry out to the God who rightly rules and justly judges and has a certain triumph. And oh, sorry, Psalm 10 says, don't become so, so over-familiar that you stop doing that helps give voice to us. Let me um, quote uh, Paul Miller from this book again. He, I found this book really helpful uh, recently. Uh, he puts it better than I can. He says, we live in a deeply broken world. If the pieces of our world aren't breaking your heart and you aren't in God's face about them, then you're becoming quietly cynical. You're thrown in the towel. Psalm 10 helps give voice to our prayers. When terrible things happen to us, when terrible things happen to the people around us, when terrible things are happening to people perhaps we've never heard of or will never meet, when those stories come across our TV screens on the news, when we dig a bit deeper because actually the media spotlight's gone off what's been going on, or, or we hear the stories of Christian brothers and sisters who are brutally persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Psalm 10 helps give us voice in those moments to know what to pray. Because this is a, a faith-filled prayer that takes God at his word. It says, you rightly rule, you judge justly, you have the certain triumph, why are you not acting? But it's also a faith-filled prayer that trusts God's character. It's a faith-filled prayer that trusts God's 
character. So he starts off Psalm 10 asking this question, why, God, are you hiding? Why are you not acting in the face of all this ugliness? You say you rightly rule and judge justly and have the triumph, but I can't see it. By the time we land at verse 13, when David asks the question, why again, things have changed a bit. But has David got an answer by then? No. He hasn't got an answer to his question. But as, as David has prayed, taking God at his word, it's as if he's taken hold of the living God and been reminded of what that living God is like, what his character is like. You might not have the nice, neat answer that perhaps we really wish we could have. But notice in verse 13, David turns from asking why of God to why of the wicked. He says, why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? It's as if David's saying, why is the wicked acting like this? Does he not know what God is like? David might not get an answer but he leans more into and trusts more the God who's made himself known what he's like. And it means David's able to pray verse 14, which I think is one of those hidden gems of a verse that we find in the Psalms. Verse 14, but you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. Isn't that wonderful? God is not like me when I was standing with some friends in, in our kitchen uh, and they were looking out the window and I, I can't for life remember if it was some bird or plant that they were all getting excited about. I'm pointing. Look at it, look at it, look at it. What? I can't see it. They're there. They're getting more exasperated with me. They're pointing hard. I can't see it. Of course, if I just did that, I could. The window frame wasn't in the way anymore. But God doesn't have anything blocking his view. God doesn't have any blind spots. God doesn't need an eye test. He sees everything. But more than that, it's not just like God's standing there looking at it all going, yeah, I see it. And I wish there was something I could do about it. We're told he considers it. He understands exactly what's going on, the motives and attitudes behind it. And he says, he's taken it in hand. God cares even more than me, even more than you, about the injustices going on in our lives and in the world around us. He is more committed to making those right than you and I will ever be. And so if it feels this morning like the world is after you and life is closing in on you, well, you can commit yourself to this God. He's the helper of the fatherless. God has got it in hand. And so David prays on in, in verse 15, break the arm of the wicked man, call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. I think this is more than David going, look at those people hurting those people. God, will you hurt them? I think, I think it's more to it than that. If you think about it, the breaking of the arm imagery is, is, to, is to kind of cause the wicked man to be powerless. He can't do anything anymore. The truth of what he's done and what he's thought, put on display for all to see. But, but there's a wait. There's a wait. There's a wait between the ugliness that goes on in our lives and around us and this moment of judgment. God's got it in hand. There's a wait. 
a weight that we're living in. A weight that we're told in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 9, is not a pointless weight. Because we're told the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, I suspect n- none of us have lived out some of the actions that we read of the wicked person in Psalm 10. But actually, if we look at the heart behind those actions, left to our own devices, every single human has the same condition, has the same heart problem. And God takes us in hand. But amazingly, God first doesn't act to break us, but he comes to meet us in Jesus. Jesus, who was broken for us on the cross, And we'll remember as we take communion in a few moments, his life broken for us. Taking on what we deserve for our sin to be broken. For it to be wiped out and wiped away. And so for us it means coming to God without pride, without arrogance. Knowing our helplessness before him. Committing ourselves to him. Knowing that the one who died on the cross for us, our saviour, is the king who reigns forever and ever. God hears the desires of the afflicted. And verse 17 tells us he encourages them. We might read that and think, I just, that just doesn't quite, that just doesn't feel enough. We kind of think of somebody on the sidelines kind of clapping, well done, keep going, bravo. We've got the wrong sense of encouragement there. Encouragement in the sense of he gives courage. He gives them courage. He gives us, his people, By the power of the Holy Spirit, his courage. God, by his Spirit, gives us courage not to overlook the plight of the helpless today. It was the plight of those who had to flee their homes, those who don't have access to clean water, those persecuted for following Jesus, those victims uh, of um, human trafficking and modern-day slavery, uh, those suffering abuse, uh, those whose lives, because uh, they're unborn or or, or young or at the end of life, whose, whose lives seem to be devalued gives us courage not to overlook their plight, but but to fight those horrors in the world, knowing that we can have small but real impacts, even if we'll never be fully able to wipe it away, because that's what Jesus will do. God, by his Spirit, will give us courage to cry out to him as we live in a heartbreakingly broken world. Help us to cry out with faith-filled prayers that take God at his word, and faithful prayers that trust God's character. Let's pray. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Lord, in this time of waiting, we want to trust that you are the, that God has a certain triumph, who rightly rules and justly judges, but we, we see the ugliness around us, even sometimes in our own lives, We long for you to act. We commit ourselves to you knowing that you've got it in hand. Knowing that you are a God who first doesn't break us, but is broken for us. Will you help us to cry out to you? To ask why? To take you at your word? To trust who you are? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.